0: This episode is brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. What are you sending your agents out in the field with? You know, the days of giving them that business card and telling them to wish them luck as they go out in the field, those days are over. You need to provide them with real marketing materials. How do you do that cost effectively when things are changing so rapidly? Well, at InstantQuoteTool.com, we provide our ISOs with custom proposal templates where we make a completely customized PDF and web version proposal that has dynamically generated savings fields and other fields along with marketing materials. Head over to instantquotetool.com slash podcast in order to claim your free 30 day trial as an ISO client. We look forward to working with you. All right, everybody, I am here with Brian Hintziak and Andrew O'Connor, the co-owners of Team Merchant. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good, thank you. Good, awesome. Well, so I thought a great way to kind of start this out is maybe you guys could give us a little bit of background. Um, I know there's always really interesting stories. I like to hear the stories of kind of, you know, uh, where you started from before the industry and then kind of coming in and, and kind of the background of how this company was started. So give us a little background if you would and introduce us to Team Merchant
1: this is brian i uh actually uh used to uh i'm in pittsburgh i owned a direct mail company prior um, okay and uh had sold that in 2015 and was actually uh, being recruited to sell uh in the payments industry um just as a 1099 and uh talked to uh payments attorney and and got some advice and, and talked to a few other folks and and as i was going through my network um I actually found out that uh, a friend of mine uh, married a friend of Andrew's, and, and uh, they connected us, and uh, we actually huh. teamed up and, and decided to start our own company. Uh, Andrew was, uh, has about 10 years' experience in the industry, so he, he definitely brought a lot uh, to the team, the that, that knowledge that I didn't have. Sure. Um, so, yeah, it was a, a really good uh, Marriage, I
0: guess, uh, the way things work out. Sure. Now, I know you guys have kind of like some different business interests, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit, but maybe you could introduce us to the value proposition, you know, for Team Merchant as well as these other interests that you guys have going on. And so I know you guys, as as with most entrepreneurs, uh, you know, you have different things going on. So can you kind of introduce us to that a little bit and give us the value proposition of like, you know, that elevator pitch or value prop for, for Team Merchant and these other companies you have?
2: Sure. This is uh, Andrew, and <clears throat> Brian's pretty modest. Uh, you know, he ran a, a business with over 200 employees for, for several years and brings a whole other skill set of running a business uh, to this whole thing that sure. I didn't have right there. So it's been very, very good to have. with I think, the, the, the kind of combination of us. But, yeah, um, yeah our, value, our position is pretty simple. It's that we work for our clients as opposed to anyone – uh, you know, back end vendor or company, we're agnostic, and that allows us to really go ahead and try and find the right fit. Um, Brian and I both, you know, we thought it was really important when we started Team Merchants to have a core set of uh, values and a mission that we were going after. And our number sure. one value is what would Mister Rogers do? Um, Brian being from
3: <laughs> Welcome Pittsburgh. to the Neighborhood. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, Brian being from Pittsburgh, you know, Mister Rogers is obviously such a big presence there, and we really wanted to have kind of. a uh, Uh, central figure that hopefully we all can agree on that like you know if we're not if if mr rogers was frowning at what we're doing right here we shouldn't be
0: doing it (laughs) and i think that you know
2: for too many people in the payments industry um that's not been the case no Um, no
0: yeah i think you guys are alone in that in that uh core value now now please help me understand though you guys you don't actually like wear the sweater to the office or anything right
2: Yeah. We don't, but we have a number of, uh, Fred. Ro- we've actually kind of become now little collectors of Fred Rogers
1: uh, paintings.
2: And, and one of our uh, clients of the chamber actually out in the burbs and, and they actually have one of the original sweaters. So we have pictures wow. of both of us with this. Oh, <laughs> very cool. We don't wear it yet, but hopefully soon, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's great.
0: So value proposition of team merchant, you know, again, kind of uh, client focused uh, and, and that side of it. And then talk a little bit about some of these other interests that you guys have and, and what you're, what you're accomplishing there. Yeah, absolutely. So, working, you know,
2: for uh, the client has been kind of the core, you know, thesis that we do, and we do that for individual merchants. Um, and you know, one of the things that we've kind of realized here is that. Um, it- as the industry is changing, um, we need to change with it and we need to actually deliver actual value that's differentiable from our competition to our clients. And so, I've had a lot of experience in, in, in B2B, worked with a lot of people in that space and just different companies um, that just do business-to-business work, and Brian, having been in the mailing industry, had a lot of uh, <clears throat> experience in, in kind of invoicing. And so. Uh, We've actually become partners in another company. It grew out of a project for a dev agency that just hated their billing solution, like so many different you know, business, business companies here sure. nowadays. Sure, um, And they were actually using a CRM system. Okay. And at the time, uh, CRM system was a, a pipe drive. And uh, they okay. just were like, hey, you know, we have all this awesome data that lives in our CRM system. Um, wouldn't it be cool if we could go ahead and actually just use that to just generate a custom quote and invoice and get paid on that? And so that's where really the idea of PayCove actually came on and <clears> – <throat> You know, the people that were the founders of Payco that we started working with, you know, one of their biggest challenges was just, you know, they didn't really know anything about the payment space. They knew coding, they knew software, Um, but, you know, payments was going to be such a big part of this product that it was exciting. And for over the last year, we've been, you know, pretty involved in, in that journey with them. Uh, There's four current CRM integrations that we have, uh, and we allow for both credit card and ACH processing, including uh, for international customers as well. So, you know, we apply that same philosophy that we have for individual merchants to all of our providers. And as we grow, you know, our our goal is to add more and more kind of, um, you know, targeted ISV and different kind of software developers on to be that same kind of just level of honest product saying, hey, you know, this one, it makes sense to go with Stripe versus going with, you know, uh, a First Data or, or some one of those ones, right?
0: Sure. And like, well, just to kind of clarify a little bit for our listeners. So when you talk about PayCove, I know some people might have been interested in what you were talking about there at the CRM integrations. So is PayCove, is that something that's a software that, you know, is separate that can be licensed that other ISOs would use? Or is that more of something that you guys have fully integrated with? It's your own ISV channel? we actually um so
2: right now it's direct through the thing we are um in the process of opening it up through affiliate partners we have okay. a um partner up in milwaukee actually that we're really excited that's actually um someone who's been in the industry for a long time while on the ach uh banking rail side and they sure. have some iso partners we're looking up too great so yeah that's something that was absolutely part of the the whole plan for us and we awesome. love this on the merchant side because it makes people sticky
0: sure awesome so um Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Pat. No, just, I,
3: just to sort of enlighten me, and, and yeah. I mean, can you get, explain a little bit about Paycove? Yeah, what, are, what does it really do?
0: You mentioned it integrates with CRM. Maybe you could walk us through. If like, you could walk us yeah. through a little bit of that just so I can have a
3: clearer sure. vision. Yeah, just uh, a
1: quick summary. Uh, Paycove essentially, uh, it's an invoicing and quoting automation uh, tool, so uh, as you're using a CRM, be it uh, you know one of who were integrated in, or pipe drive, HubSpot. Uh, so when you go ahead and move your deal from one stage to another in a CRM, you can set trigger points that it will send out a quote to the client with all you know the information you have contained uh, in that uh, project. Uh, you can specify what you want to include on there and, and really itemize the, uh, the quote quite a bit. And then uh, you, you don't have to use a quote. You can have it send an invoice directly, but you set where it triggers in your uh, sales pipeline. From the crm and automatically gets sent out and has a nice button on there for folks to pay uh, you can customize if you want to allow them to pay with ach credit card or you know only one or the other
3: right um yeah so it's a, it's a really cool tool we're really excited about it and, and we've
1: had a lot of adoption uh, with folks in all sorts of industries throughout the world which has given us some insight into how things work over in europe and uh Asia,
3: it's uh, it's pretty interesting. Well, I, I was curious because you you talked about ACH, and that in my mind tends to be more often uh, a B2B type of um, payment channel. Is that mostly <clears throat> what you're seeing as well, or is this uh, is this you know d- does PayCove is is it is it a B2B C2B you know sort of all in one? That's a great question. And it really kind of it depends on the company,
2: especially with so many different businesses Mm -hmm. going to SaaS models. Right. Seeing that, you know, a lot of these B2B companies that traditionally operated on paper checks and ACH Mm -hmm. are adopting card more often because they're seeing those purchasing cards or corporate cards come across. Right. Um, you know, more often. Um I I think one of the most amazing things about, you know, the way we want to work with it here is that our goal at PayCove is to have these disparate systems talk to each other. So if it's, you know, something here where a client's making a payment. You, know, you as a salesperson or you as a sales manager or you as a CFO or whatever your role is, if it applies to that, you want to make sure that these systems are talking to one another. And, and that's what we do at a core level, because it's great to go ahead and know as a salesperson immediately in real time in your CRM when a deal has been accepted and actually it's been paid. Right. And what we're trying to do here is, you know, kind of tie those two things together, um, as well as, you know, um, expanding to if it's coming in through a shopping cart or an in-app purchase. And so it's been really interesting because you see kind of a, a divergence where there definitely are some people. Who are using Payco that are only paper check, um, still. Mm-hmm. and they just actually just use it because it's a easier way to generate these you know PDFs and everything. Um, whereas you know other ones are using it you know 100 credit card because they're a SaaS company.
3: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Cool. Yeah, that's, Thank that's, you. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. I think that's neat too because that kind of opens up these other verticals. We talk a lot about that in the podcast of you know you want to go where maybe it's not as competitive. Um, and it also probably affects. I would imagine your guys' attrition with Payco is really, really low. If somebody's integrating the payments into their CRM, I mean, that's that's about as integrated as you can possibly be into the core operation of the business, right? Right. That's
2: the goal, exactly. And as someone who's been in the industry for ten years, you know, I mean, it's difficult to get somebody to change a terminal, let alone a point of sale system. A CRM system is a you know something that you don't want to change ever, if ideally, oh, right? You know, sure. If not, you know, And so the goal here is for us, and especially because we do, you know, have multiple different ways people can get paid for it, is really to kind of solve that problem. And and going back to the value add right here, this is differentiable, and this is something that we really feel we've seen with our clients that, you know, my favorite thing to hear is that, you know, we were thinking about building this ourselves because it's been such a problem, and right. think you know they you know find us in the marketplace right now and everything too. So it's been a really exciting mm-hmm. journey to kind of solve these problems with those clients. And awesome.
3: that question of build or buy is so is so ever present these days, ever you know more so.
0: Yeah, and I think I think companies want to buy. <laughs> Definitely, they'd rather buy than build. Much um, rather, sure. But right. if they can. But um, okay, so one thing you did touch on that I wanted I want to transition on. You guys were talking a little bit about you know Asia, Europe, things like that, and these other countries. So I know you guys have done you know more work. Internationally, uh, that's something that I think a lot of ISOs uh, that are listening maybe haven't, uh, you know, gone over th- into that, you know, that way. They haven't uh, gone to international payments at all. Can you talk about your experience and, and how it's been with international payments? Sure, I can uh, take a little bit of that.
1: Um, it's definitely a, a learning process. Um, we we while we were rolling out Payco, uh, we had a lot of challenges here with GDPR. Uh, not mm-hmm. challenges, but just sure. a lot to learn and uh, sure. uh, yeah. uh, abide by uh, the rules. So, so that's uh, been a learning process. And then, just uh, as,
3: an, as an aside, maybe you should, he can explain to some people who might not what yeah you know, what GDPR is.
0: Yeah, dig just... into that a little bit. Tell us what that is and and why sure, it's such sure. a challenge. That's
1: uh, European uh, privacy standards uh, that essentially any data you retain. Uh, Previously, uh, most companies just assumed that hey, you gave us this data; it belongs to us now. Right. And uh, uh, part of the EU has said no. That's still the user's data. They have the right to ask you to provide uh, the data that you're handling, and you know also to request that you delete it. Um, And, you know, you have uh, strict standards for reporting any breaches, uh, and there's teeth, uh, so it's it's enforceable, and there's some substantial penalties for not
3: complying. Right, and that's Uh, very, very important when you're dealing with international. Yeah, and, and it might say it might sound like to people listening that might
0: sound like, oh, well, what's what's so difficult about that? You just need to know all the information you have about somebody and then be able to delete it. Well, yeah, but when you're talking about technology solutions, you know, the in, the data that you have on people is is extensive and flows through your entire system, and and tracking it all down and deleting it all and knowing where it all is is definitely an extraordinarily large challenge, and, and frankly, one that. Most U.S. software companies—they just haven't created the infrastructure in the technology to be able to do that. Because they don't need to. They don't need to. And so, right. going international—if I hear what you're saying, right, Brian? It's like going international can be a little challenging because you basically have to to create this infrastructure after the fact that it just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. And and then additionally, there's the VAT taxes and the, right. uh, a lot of different cross-border transaction issues that you know we don't see as much here in the states. You know. It's almost as if every state here had it. I mean, they do have their own taxes, but the value-added taxes, where they apply and where they don't,
0: uh, right it's a little interesting there. So. Brian, do you, um, but, do you have any tips ahead, about, sorry. I'm sorry, yeah, I was just wondering, do you have any tips about, though, like, how did you find acquirers or, you know, payment processing solutions to serve your merchants as you, you know, started to go overseas? Was that, was that a big challenge? Any Any tips on that?
1: Uh, it is, and Andrew can
2: probably speak a little better to that end of yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, really, the, the, what's been remarkable with Payco, we, we actually, um, you know, to this day, have not spent any money on advertising. Uh, it's all been organic through the marketplaces, for these CRM systems. And these sure. CRM systems, because what they've been able to do and get this market share overseas, we've been able to piggyback on that. And so my advice to any ISO out there is that if you can find the eyeballs, you know, in terms of an existing marketplace where you can actually have a solution on there at solving those problems. You know, Brian mentioned the VAT tax issue. That, that was a bigger issue. Um, SEPA acceptance. Uh, it's a big thing in Europe as well. There's different things that some of these European and international clients are looking for how you, you know, deal with taxes overseas and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, what's been really, I think helpful for us is just legitimately, we were not expecting to have such a large international presence, but because of these different CRM systems, um, you know, it's it's been uh, they've been essentially finding us overseas through these different marketplaces that exist already. And so, mm-hmm. if you can find a marketplace that has a big international audience, then that's a great way to go ahead and find clients. I mean, Brian can tell you about people he's talked to in Estonia and all over the world that are just fun stories.
0: Hmm. Well, wow, that's uh, that's really cool. So, so let me ask you this: if you if you guys kind of zoom out a little bit, um, and I and I love you know doing this interview today because you guys are very similar to a lot of our listeners meaning you know you have this partnership where you're building this company and this building this iso getting clients on board you're you're facing the same challenges everybody else is facing right now and i'm just wondering when you look at you know kind of the last few years what are the big changes that have had an impact on your business and then how do you see those changes affecting your business going forward do you have some thoughts you could share that would maybe be even a help for other uh, iso owners that are listening in
2: Absolutely. If it's okay, I'll I'll take it, Andrew. So um, I think that, you know, there's a couple of mantras that we kind of believe here at Team Merchant. The first is that, um, you know, there has been plenty of disruption and plenty of innovation, uh, but what there hasn't been enough of is adoption in our industry. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm stealing that from someone uh, uh, who's a friend of ours, uh, Dick Dixon, So, um, but uh, it really is uh, a, it's such a huge problem in the industry. I mean, we have a ton of clients that are businesses that are successful, been around for um, decades, some of which may be coming on their you know 100-year anniversary, they're still using a terminal or still using a point-of-sale system, and getting them to adopt to something that's just a little bit more modern is a challenge.
3: Right. And
2: especially if you're having someone who's trying to put, you know, a square peg in a round hole or if they're incentivized to sell one particular solution, even if that solution isn't the right one for them. And so one of the things that I I think is really important here is that you really do need to provide value and you need to be honest about what that value actually is uh, nowadays. If you go ahead and and see where I think a lot of different, you know, merchants feel um if you're going to go ahead and shop for anything be it you know software for your business or just you know car insurance for yourself you're going to go to google you're going to go ahead and look online nobody wants to be sold like it was five ten years ago and so it's something where you really need to think about how am i going to go ahead and help these businesses grow how am i going to find those solutions that are going to work with and also who are my clients and who are my clients that are who are not my clients because i think that's one of the biggest challenges for a lot of people mm-hmm. here is that they just you know are not good at kind of figuring out um what those things are does, does that sound like a good summary brian of kind of where we're at yeah i, I think probably one of the other changes
1: or challenges too is just uh, a lot of the you know software that's uh, custom to specific industries that sure. uh, You know, it's pretty locked down as as far as payments, and they don't offer any other options. Uh, It's great if you can be that payments company and and have that uh, deal with a a software vendor, but uh, as somebody, you know, trying to
0: switch a gateway on the back end, it's uh, not a lot of those companies like to play very nice anymore. Yeah, I think it seems like it's a segmentation thing, right, where like over the last kind of three years, I think especially, it's been like, you know, it used to be that you'd have, you know, two or three different payment, you know, solutions, whether it be, you know, we have e-commerce and you have a credit card terminal or a touchscreen POS, micros or something. And then that's like the solution that, you know, no matter who you're selling, they need one of those three solutions. Now it's like, if you are a, you know, whatever your business is, there's probably a very, if you're a furniture store, there's a specific POS that integrates with your furniture inventory ordering system or whatever. And so it's just become so segmented that, you know, you have to really, Um, step it up a notch and, and start to make those ISV partnerships and things like that.
2: Yep, absolutely. Absolutely, and I think it's also something here about that furniture store, understanding them. If you're someone who <clears throat> they can trust, and you build that trust by really getting to know their business and, and being a long-term partner and provider, I, I don't think those level of ISOs are going to go away for a very long time, and I know that there are you know millions of businesses that exist that really do need help in adoption and adapting to new technologies. And I think that's where really ISOs can be the best benefit nowadays, is being genuine partners. But if you're in it to just you know, smash and grab as many accounts as you can and kind of do the old models, th- those are going away because why wouldn't you just switch to a square or a stripe or, you know, sure. something out of the box like that? So, yeah. you know, that's kind of where we see where our value is.
0: Hmm, very good. Um, so, I have a last question I have for you guys. Um, you know, so, there's a lot of people listening right now we have individual agents listening there are you know owners of isos listening what are some areas where maybe there is an opportunity to partner are you looking for agents are you looking for iso partnerships isvs you know what are some of those things and then tell us where would they go to learn more about you where would they go to uh to get in contact with you if they meet that criteria sure um yeah we're open to uh pretty
1: much anything uh, we're willing to listen. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're uh, happy to, to look to bring on agents, uh, as far as team merchant, that's our ISO. Sure. Um, we could be reached there at, uh, our website is, uh, team merchant, T E A M M E R C H A N T
0: T.com. Uh, and then, uh, as you guys far got like a code, partner, you got like a partner link or something on there. I believe there's a partner link on there or an info link or, um, Sure. You can schedule a discovery session with us. You can <clears throat> contact us. Uh, all
2: the information's up there. We'll also a right? calculator there, too. Pretty handy, cool tool. Um, and then uh, <laughs> Andrew uh, at teammerchant.com and Brian at com. So our, our email addresses are pretty easy.
0: Cool. Awesome. Uh, and
2: then, uh, regarding Paycove, uh, the website for Paycove
1: is uh, paycove, P-A-Y-C-O-V-E dot I-O. And, again, you can reach uh, myself or Andrew at uh, brian at dot io or
0: Awesome. boy! thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate the transparency and just sharing your knowledge of the industry and your experience. I'm sure there's a lot of ISOs that really enjoyed that uh, interview and hopefully will be reaching out to you to partner together. So thanks so much for your time, guys. I appreciate it. Been really insightful. Awesome. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, well,
1: thank, thank you guys. It was great thank you.
0: This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy brought to you by greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Green Sheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street
3: in our evolving sphere. Business-to-business payments continue to be a hot topic. Both Visa and American Express, for example, recently announced new initiatives that are aimed at simplifying digital commerce in this space. Amex and corporate payment specialist Wex Inc. are teaming up to support B2B payments using virtual cards. And Visa says it's working with Bill Trust to create a business payments network, BPN for short, for corporate suppliers. Visa and Bill Trust have been working together for over a year now since the two firms set out to integrate Bill Trust's virtual card capture solution with Visa's straight-through processing. BPN takes this work to the next level, streamlining payments with reconciliation processes which is really important in the B2B space. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the biggest reason why they don't take cards right now. (laughs) Sure. Now, despite all the attention that's been focused on electronic payments, checks remain the payment method of choice for a large share of B2B payments, and we've discussed this in the past. Right. You know, the Association for Financial Professionals estimates that checks account for over half of all B2B payments in the U.S., and there's a lot of reasons for this, but perhaps the biggest reason is that payables and receivable systems and processes have been built around traditional check payments. Sure. That and the cost, I think, too, right? Well, the cost, because checks are never priced at the true cost to the banks of processing checks. Right. Um, You know, there's sort of, there's almost as though uh, there's like this inherent American right to have checks for free. Right. Exactly. (laughs) You know? How dare you charge me for my checks? Right. So Visa and Bill Trust have said they're responding to these objections by creating this BPN network to streamline and simplify these back-end integration issues. For example, it supports delivery of payments and associated remittance documents in a single stream that makes it easier to post payments. Sure. Now, for its part, Amex is working with WEX on the payable side of the equation, leveraging an AP technology WEX calls Synaptic. Synaptic integrates with existing AP systems and can support virtual car payments for Amex business and corporate card customers. Now, virtual cards are a relative newcomer to the payment space. They are accounts that generate 16-digit numbers for each transaction that reference transaction-level detail. What is known in the world of plastic cards is level one and level two detail. Right. And that gets sent to the supplier's bank using a file-based process.
0: And this is, I'm sorry to interrupt, but this is the thing we talked about, I think, a while back, where this is like um, businesses where, you know, instead of giving somebody a company card, which they could potentially use to buy their vacation or whatever, you're like, oh, you just need this transaction. Go here. We'll generate one One number. One transaction.
3: One card number. Card number for this transaction. transaction. Got it. Okay. Okay. And, um, you know, so so again, like I said, they're these 16-digit numbers, and they get sent to the, you know, to the recipient's bank. Right, right. Um, and they gen- generally integrate with back-end accounting systems so they can deliver something akin to straight-through processing. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, and most important is that it contains that level 2 data.
0: Right, much lower interchange costs. Much lower interchange costs, exactly.
3: Now, the next point, the next um, item I wanted to bring up, uh, which I think you'll find very interesting. Sure. B2B prospecting and cold calling. Right, which goes hand in hand because if you, you know, if you like that and you're like, "Oh, I want to sell to businesses." and Then you better know how to sell to businesses. Right. And you know, we've talked about in the past cold calling, but of course, you know, it's a lot different in the B2B space right. than it is in the C2B space. Yep. So I came upon this new report on B2B prospecting challenges. And no surprises here. The report found that one out of two B two B sales reps fears cold calling.
0: Yeah, only one out of two. All right, I think I think. And, and the other stat there is that one out of two reps lies. Lies.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly <laughs> my thought, right? Because we know this is not a whole lot different from the C two B space. all right Sure. So anyway, the report that was prepared by a company called Value Selling Associates. It is based on a survey of sales experts in a variety of roles, from senior management to the feet on the street, and across a variety of industries, including tech, financial services, and healthcare. Okay. Now, while the survey was not specific to payment services, I think it provides some overreaching insights that can be applicable. Sure.
0: Today in Questions from the Field, we're actually just going to continue. Patty was doing the Insider's Report a little bit ago, so we just kind of took a break in that. Patty found this really interesting report about prospecting B2B, and so she and I kind of banter back and forth about sales, and I think we really got some great tips in there. So let's jump in, and so we're kind of continuing on with the Insider's Report, but now we're going to be talking about prospecting
3: in this really interesting report that Patty found. So here's seven uh, key takeaways that I got from the report. Okay, let's hear them. The number one challenge to setting up initial meetings is reaching the right person within the organization. Yep. By a wide margin, over 30 percentage points, the most effective way considered to reach prospects is client referrals. Cold calls come in second. But there was a consensus opinion, of course, that just dropping in on a B2B prospect without an appointment ain't going to work. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, uh, you know what's funny about that? There's two things about that that are that are so interesting. I'm not surprised at all by the statistic. Right? It's totally untrue, which is really interesting to me. And I know that because I have sold I've sold multi million dollar B two B clients by dropping in by just dropping in, huh? Right. And the reality is that the statistic really what it actually shows is that people don't do that. And that is
3: exactly what I thought when I read it Yeah, as well. and,
0: you know, the funny thing to me is I get the opposite takeaway, which is, oh, wow, like, seriously, still, all these years later, people still don't do that. What a great competitive edge. huh If I'm still on B2B, I'm not even going to use the phone.
3: Right? I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> anyway, anyway, but it's And just here's funny. another thing that I thought was interesting uh, that kind of flew in the face of my experience. Right. Was that webinars and email campaigns are not effective
0: with B2B. Yeah, and you know the reason there is because of the the time. Um and I do webinar campaigns for my business. Um but the problem is that B2B clients um you know, they get so much email that that's kind of like white noise. The email, but what about the webinars? The I webinar, would've... the problem is the time. It's okay. too time consuming. They don't want to take, you know, you would be much better off doing a free ebook. Download uh-huh. where they can kind of scan it, right? Or here's a series. Here's my five video series on whatever, so they can watch it in bite-sized chunks. Uh-huh. But the idea of getting them to commit to, to a, a half one hour, hour or an whatever, hour, getting right? Getting them to
3: commit to that and then actually doing it is nearly impossible. You know, and that's interesting because I do, um, I do some webinars with another client mm-hmm. um, that's in the B two B space, right? And and, but it's also, it's very high-end stuff. It's, you mm-hmm. know, transaction processing and what are some of the new technologies sure. and techniques. And there, right. the edu- it's more of an educational. Yes.
0: Well, and see, the other thing, too, is this report is talking about prospecting and cold calling. Right. Whereas, you know, once you have the relationship and the the kind of like the trust. An example, I mean, this podcast right now, all these people listening to this podcast for us, a couple thousand a week or whatever it is. Right, right. But that's because greensheet.com and com have spent years, my case a decade, in your guys' case, I don't know, what, two decades Uh, or three decades? Three or four, yeah. Anyway, long, long time building up that reputation. And so- Everybody knows we're here to educate, we're here to add value. That's true. When, when you're prospecting and marketing, the idea of saying, hey, you don't know me, but I'd like an hour of your time to go through a webinar. Right. Yeah, good luck. That's
3: a lot, yeah. yeah. You're, you're, you got a big point there. And I think, you know, like with you and like with the green sheet, for so many, I mean, I, I know with the green sheet, I meet people out on the road and they're like, right. oh, when I first got into merchant sales, they gave me a year's worth of green sheets and it's, told me to read. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yep. So, okay. Um. Here's something. Uh, better than half of initial meetings take more than five touch points to secure. Yeah. I thought that was a very high number. <clears throat> um, you know, it's, And I think it might have to do with how large the organization I was just about is. to say that it, yeah. it does. You know, But the funny thing is, and I've been
0: talking to reps a lot about this lately, I mean, I'm always so torn by this because I know so many agents in our industry that do like a one-call close and they're mm-hmm. able to do it. Like the pitch I talked about, I think it was the last episode, right. um, is really designed for kind of a one-call close. But in the reality of it, I would say of all the sales I made, um, I would say 75% of them I had to follow up more than twice. Yeah. Now, not to have the initial meeting. Right. But it's just one of those things where, you know, people want to see that you want their business and that it matters that to you. And that you're going to work for it. And I mean, the larger the company is, the, the more that's multiplied. I mean, um, I'm thinking about a, one of my big clients I have still, uh, this huge ski resort that's about an hour from where we're at right now. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I went to them, I would say on average, I checked in with them twice a month for seven months. Mm, to get mm-hmm. that deal. Um, during the busy season, that account generates about $2,800 a month in residual for about five mm-hmm. months.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Am I sad that I went there, you know, a couple of times a month for uh, for seven months? Nope. <laughs> no, because you're getting getting <laughs> That's it a over huge and over fan, again, yeah. right? And I think you know, I think one of the biggest things about it is I think it's a the B two B and like the larger businesses. It is an untapped market in our industry because I think a lot of salespeople are used to just selling the mom and pop shop, right? And they're like, well, they you know, because because I mean, here's the thing: if I go to a pizza shop, right, an individually owned one location pizza shop, mm-hmm. and I have to come back more than four or five times over the course of a month. They're not interested. Right. I'm just wasting my time. Right. And so it's easy to get that in your head, but when you're going after the larger client, you have to understand that there's a there's a hierarchy to the
3: decision-making. And you have to earn their respect and earn yes. their trust, right? You have
0: to earn the, the trust of this person so they can introduce you to the next person. Exactly. Then you earn their trust. Right. Then they'll introduce you to the next person. Then you earn their trust. And it's like, right. wow, by the time you finally get to the... And then when you get to the decision-maker, the other thing is these larger companies have infrastructure, and so they have what I call legitimate constraints. hmm So when you're dealing with the individual location, pizza shop owner, and they say, I don't want to start until the new year. That's not a legitimate constraint. They just don't want to do it right now because they're busy. They don't want to deal with it. Right. But when you're talking to a company that does you know $7 million a month in revenue, Mm -hmm. and they say, we have a budget process that begins December 1st and ends January 15th, and then we make our decision and we kick it off February 1st, they really do mean it. Right. And so if you're in June... (laughs) <laughs> you're not going to sell them until December. Right. You can start to build some trust and network, but there's some that, legitimate constraints. And that's constraints. the thing
3: is that you're, you're building the trust, and it's a much more important to build that trust for those right. bigger bounties, right? Right. So it's always a balancing act, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The three most important skills needed to connect with new prospects. Doing research to identify the decision makers. Mm-hmm. Getting introductions uh, by way of referrals. Okay. And face-to-face networking. Whether it's through professional organizations, personal connections, church, yeah, whatever. But those, and I think that's there's a lot to be said for that. You know that. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, you really need to network, particularly on the B2B side.
0: I agree. I, I think one thing I would I would say is about the getting introductions via referrals. Hmm. Um, that's really important. But I think salespeople um, sometimes don't understand how that really actually works. So right in, in reality, that doesn't mean. I know this person who's really well connected and I literally went to them and said, I'm trying to sell this other person. Can you please introduce me? Mm-hmm. That does not happen very often. No. What actually happens is, is really a couple things. Number one, um, going to somebody that you want to sell and doing a name drop mm-hmm. as a source of referral. Hey, you know, I work with, I'm thinking of a, a place that I've made, um, oh my goodness, I'm sure over $100,000 off one merchant account that I've made um, over the past you know, three, four years or whatever a large client like this. Um, th- it was not a referral. It was a cold call. I had an appointment. I had somebody I'd hired off of Upwork.com, I've talked about before, right, appointment right. scheduler. She called and got the appointment for me to go meet with a decision maker. Um, I went in, met with a decision maker, with mm-hmm. a manager, but he, the manager worked for the partners, the investors. Right. So it took maybe a couple months to get this deal done. But anyway, um, you know that deal got done, and part of the reason it got done is when I went in, I was able to tell him, um, You know, he asked... What other clients do you have? Right. And I name dropped three of them in the local market that were also fairly good size, multiple location businesses. Mm-hmm. They weren't as large as his, but they were multiple location and they were nearby. Right. Um I know that he ended up reaching out to one, but he didn't reach out to the other two. And so what actually happened in that case is, you know, he probably knew one of the three people or had heard sure. of them, just reached out. And, and I talked to the other person about it because they right. said, hey, I got a call from so-and-so, you know. And I said, oh, thank you so much for taking the call. I didn't even let them know that I was name dropping. Right. I'm just, you know, I'm just name dropping. And, um, and I said, oh, how did it go? And he said, oh, he just called and said, you know, who is this guy or whatever. And I said, you were a good guy and, and honest and we'd had a good experience. And that was it. So, you know, right. I think a lot of times agents. But you need can, that. I mean, as a you business Definitely, person. you need it. Um, and that's why getting that first account, t- to get your first big account, you know, you have to be honest with them, mm-hmm. which is the hardest thing because you know your honesty is going to be a disadvantage in a way. Because you don't have the, you can't name drop on your first one. That's right. And you say, hey, you know what, man, like it would be a, and that's why you give an amazing deal. My, I'll never forget my first big deal, five location pizza shop, uh-huh. not the one I just mentioned, a different one, but five location pizza shop. And I told this guy, I said, I'm telling you, I'm going to give you like almost at cost. I'm not making hardly any money off because I didn't qualify for upfront bonuses. I said, like, you have to understand. I said, I have, at this point I had about maybe 60 accounts that were all individual
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: I said, you're going to be, I'm not going to lie to you. I said, you're my first individual location. And you might look at that as a disadvantage, but you're going to have two big advantages. Number one, the only reason I want your business is so I can use your name. Mm-hmm. And that means I am I'm going to provide you, the, you best. the best experience you've ever had in your life. And I said, secondly, I recognize that I don't have the value proposition here. I have to give you an incredible deal to make this worth your while. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And I gave him an amazing deal. I think I saved him a couple thousand dollars a month actually on his, mm-hmm. because I literally just, sh- just took out all the margin. I was making right. Like, uh, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month on the whole deal. But from that
3: referral, you made but so then much I was, other.
0: But then it, then it was just a snowball effect. Right. Um, and so, yeah, getting that first decent-sized multiple location is is worth, I, you know, in retrospect, if I was losing a $100 a month on that deal, I still would have done it because it's worth so much more. In a lot the ability cheaper to than print.
3: advertising, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, anyway. Okay, but, so, yeah. okay, so then the three greatest challenges to planning for and executing prospecting. Mm-hmm. Being organized and consistent with outreach. Yeah, that's really important. Yes, giving up too easily.
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: that's something we've talked about yes. bef- many times. Uh, no brainer, right? Yeah, those. those and are, this kind of goes with the first uh, one that I mentioned at the top: fear of picking up the phone and making a call. Uh, it's
0: funny. I just had a conversation with an agent about this, um, where I said, "You know, I said you're making too many decisions." Mm-hmm. I said, "You mm-hmm. know, your decision has got to be." Am I, when am I prospecting? Okay. You're going to prospect for four hours a day, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, right? From nine to one or whatever. That's the end of your decision. I said, you don't get to decide, am I going to walk into that business or not? Right. Am I going to pick the phone up? No, no, no. No
3: decisions. Right. You just do it. You have a job. Just do it. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. The best prospecting results are achieved through, which actually goes right to what you said, dedicated blocks of time every day. Yep. And they, the recommendation from this report, a minimum of two hours a day. Yep. But here's the interesting thing. Only four out of ten reps said they actually spend that much time prospecting.
0: And, and three of those were lying.
3: Probably. <laughs> Probably. Uh, it's a, it is, sh- I mean, Patty, it is shocking to me, absolutely
0: shocking how few reps do that. And I just don't don't get it. Right. It's like what do you I mean, it's not and like a business is gonna come into and, you. And no, and I mean maybe I, maybe we can help some reps out there today. So let me be like really, really specific. If you are listening to this podcast right now and your livelihood is based on making sales and you are not spending an average of two hours, five days a week, prospecting for new business, you will
3: fail. Yes. Fix it or go get a job. Yes. Indeed. That's no, it. I agree. I mean, and two hours a day. Think about it. And you know, and I'll tell you what it is, Patty. It is funny because
0: I'll, I, you know, I, I can be. I can be harsh and brutal about it because I've lived it, right? But I also totally <laughs> understand it. I'm telling you what it is. There is nothing more exhausting mentally and physically. Even I mean, when you get done with two hours of cold calls, Oof. you're like, I need to. I need like an aspirin and a break.
3: I need like right. you know a- what I mean. Aspirin and a vodka or something, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: something, it's like oh, it's so hard. And I'll tell you, even harder. and and this is kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, is face-to-face. You're going to walk into businesses that you've never, to prospect that you've never been into for two hours, that's going to seem like 50 hours, right? Oh, my goodness. And every time you walk in... The whole time you're walking in, yeah, you are you fighting.
3: That, oh, do I? Oh, yes. Okay, okay. I'm gonna open the door. One more step. Yeah, one more step. And then you walk in.
0: I I guarantee you, there are so many reps listening right now who can identify with this of with this concept of walking in, looking around. The the the, the prospect comes <laughs> over and says, "Can I help you?" And you say no, and you leave. And you leave, right? Um, I know. Oh, anyway, I it, all right. that to say, it it is challenging, but at the same time. Everybody has a job that has challenges to it. We all do. You we just got to do. do your job, just and if you're in one. sales, go prospecting.
3: And if you and if you don't want to prospect, then don't go into sales. Exactly. You know. So and and and, and training, continuous training is sure. critical. It's yep. a critical success element. Sure. You know, sales reps need to regularly hone their prospecting skills, yep. whether through, uh, you know, uh, formal training. Micro learning, coaching.
0: Yep. yep, and I think one thing in our industry that we do lack a little bit, and and you know, uh, is kind of that pure sales training. In other words, right? You know, people watch my videos, Mark sure. Beauchamp, who we just talked to, and right. you know, so um, there's training out there, but the thing is, that's all very merchant services specific
3: specific yeah. you know
0: i do some stuff that's more general sales but not much for the most part i'm, I'm very specific merchant services but i mean you know you should be you know brian tracy and tom hopkins and mm-hmm. some of the newer people like you know you should be in tune with these sales training and listening to that kind of motivational all the time you know and it's funny too i i actually hate a lot of it i really it's funny i really do the brian, brian tracy drives me crazy like with his you know uh, rah rah, rah. I, I don't like that, but you know what? Um, but for uh, some people, that really works. You know, but it, it works for everybody. Even if you don't like it, I didn't like it. But listening to it when I would drive to an appointment, it made me feel motivated. Like I'm gonna go sell. Mm-hmm. I didn't. It wasn't my favorite thing. There's much. Th- I'd, I'd rather listen to something else. I'll put it that way. Sure. But but you know, it was like okay. Like I got like I'm gonna. I got this. Like I'm gonna go sell. So it, it's yeah, motivating.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So so here's something the report had to say about high performers in the B2B space. They show commitment in working the entire sales process every day. They exhibit a natural curiosity in targeted buyers, businesses, and industries. And they consistently qualify opportunities to minimize time chasing those that will never close. Yeah. Thanks,
0: Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.